0: Hello and welcome to something's not right. I'm Olivia and I'm Tashana. And tonight we are going to turn this over to Tashana so she can tell you a little story about a movie that relates to our previous episode. Yes. So we'll get to that after a short break. So first, uh you've probably noticed that last week and this week or Kind of different in that um, Olivia and I are, have recorded our own separate episodes, uh, sort of regarding the same subject. I did want to state that my focus on my episode this week is more on the movie called Grand Theft Parsons that's based on uh, the theft of Grand Parsons' body uh, and not the actual case. Uh, my lovely co-host Olivia covered the actual facts of the story last week. Again, I know this is a little bit different than our usual episodes, and if you hate it, tough cookie, but I don't think that you will. Although mine is, a, is obviously more film-focused, but I hope some of you still enjoy that. I will be discussing some of the creative licensing took, But honestly, I just kind of want to focus more on the production trivia and my overall opinion of the movie. But in keeping with a reoccurring Something's Not Right theme, I will include some bonus boner trivia at the end. So one, I just wanted to say that I saw this movie, I'm pretty sure, I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I definitely saw it when it was first released to rent yeah, because that was when you could still go to video stores. Um, and my interest was sort of a two-parter. I was already a Grand Parsons fan, but also have always just really liked Johnny Knoxville and found him very entertaining. I totally get why it's not for everyone, but it certainly was for me. And... I've since watched the movie a couple of times recently, but even then I overall liked it as a just a movie and usually just on a on a side personal note, when I watch bio movies or movies based on true stories, honestly, it can be difficult if your main focus is just on, at least in my opinion, on how historically accurate is this? Because that never happens. (laughs) Like hardly ever. Uh, Almost any movie that you watch or that you see that's based on a true story, it is going to have some creative licensing done. Some take a lot more liberties than others. And obviously not all biopics, in my opinion, are created the same. There's definitely some that are way better than others. But overall, I really enjoy this. Uh, but I'll get into sort of how pretty much almost all the characters are, uh, are fictionalized or a take on a real person. So when I was doing research, though, about the making of the movie... I actually came up pretty short on information. Not a ton of interviews or press from what I could find were actually done for this movie, which was kind of surprising because, you know, this was in 2003, 2004. And Johnny Knoxville was a pretty big star at the time because of Jackass. And I I don't know if it's just... There wasn't enough money to put behind it to do a lot of like press tours or or what. And also kept trying to find an actual number for the budget that was spent on this movie and couldn't find it. But I would venture to say based on other trivia that I found, it wasn't a super high budget. It seems that they were able to use a lot of locations for free Probably because the majority of this movie takes place in Joshua Tree, California, out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) So you, the idea or need for getting a lot of permits was just not necessary. And I certainly don't want to focus too much on reviews. I actually didn't read a ton of them, partially because I just don't really read them in general. I much prefer just film analysis, which is a little bit different. I rarely read reviews right as a movie comes out because either way, I'm going to see what I want to see. So I'll kind of get into a few facts first. Uh, The first one being that just to give you sort of an overview of when this movie takes place. It definitely centers around Phil Coffin, which if you listened to last week's episode, which I'm assuming most of you did, uh, who was Graham Parsons' road manager, which is who Johnny Knoxville plays in the movie. It pretty much is with him the entire time. Uh, At the beginning, and again, I do want to say, I'll try not to spoil too much about the movie, but honestly, as far as timeline of what it covers, you already know the story again, if you listen to Olivia's episode last week, if you didn't know it already, so spoilers aren't really an issue, but uh the majority of the movie does focus on Knoxwell. It actually starts with him getting a call from a woman who was with Parsons in his motel room and when he's died and calling. It starts with her calling Kaufman, and him going out there to the room to kind of rifle through and dispose of some things that if he finds them or when he finds them, and then you know obviously you don't know it initially, but then there's the reveal of the pact that per Kaufman that he and Graham Parsons made that when Parsons died. It was his wish to be taken out to Joshua Tree National Park, uh, which was, you know, Joshua Tree in general in the desert was an area that he had just grown to really love and he wanted to be cremated and scattered in the desert. And that was his final wish. So, I did happen to find the official website for Grand Theft Parsons, and we'll be sure to have those in the show notes so that you can link to it if you want to say it, say it, see it, and peruse it for yourself. Um, it's still up and going, but per that website, the film was shot in twenty four days, which is a pretty short turnaround time, even by. Independent film standards is still pretty short, but that is more the norm with independent movies uh, than, say, your big budget, where sometimes they're shooting for months at a time. Now, usually those are your big tentpole Marvel films action, but still 24 days. Uh, They used authentic locations in California, and the production, I did find out per the website, was granted permission to film uh, in LAX which was great, and that's where the body was actually stolen, as well as they did get permission to film in the Joshua Tree National Park, where the cremation took place. In the movie, Knoxville wears, uh, this is an interesting piece of trivia, he actually wears Kaufman's actual denim jacket that he wore when taking the body. And Knoxville actually rides Kaufman's Harley trike, which is... For anyone that doesn't know, it's, and I I apologize if I do a piss poor job of describing this, it's like a motorcycle, but it's got a back to it. I didn't get in my notes super detailed on describing that to you guys, but you can look up Harley trike and you'll see it. It's certainly not a typical motorcycle, but it's still made by Harley. But it was Kaufman's actual trike that he's riding in the movie, which I thought both of those things were pretty cool. Also, that Kaufman, he actually makes a cameo in one of the last scenes of the movie. And it's where Kaufman and a character, Larry Osterberg, who is a fictitious character, but is actually one of my favorites that I'll talk about in a little while, they're going into the jail. And Kaufman plays someone coming out of the jail. Uh, So, a little cameo from him. Another piece of trivia that I found out. And this was per an Entertainment Weekly article, which I'll also have a link to. And it was from October 2002. So it was, I believe, when they were still in pre-production or about to start, Hugh Jackman was originally cast in the coffin role, but was replaced due to scheduling conflicts with the ongoing shoot for X-Men 2 at the time. Which I think is interesting. I certainly think that Knoxville is just a better fit as a person. I've watched several interviews with Kaufman because he's just a kind of a fascinating person, regardless of how you feel about him. His personal ethics or all the crazy things he did, but he was a road manager for a rock and roll band. so And I don't know if he still does, but he actually lived here for, for a while. And there's a uh, an episode of Vice that I came across where they go and actually find him and talk to him for a little bit. And I'll also provide a link to that, even though it's not totally related to this. Maybe people might want to see that. But I just felt like Johnny Knoxville was a better fit for him. Not that I'm sure Hugh Jackman wouldn't have done a good job because Hugh Jackman is a good actor and I've seen him and things that prove that he had range, but I just overall felt like Knoxville was a better fit. Going back to what I was talking about before, so other than Kaufman, most of the cast in the movie is actually made up of fictional characters who are based on real people or a combination of real people or real types of people that would have been around at the time. Uh, the first one I will talk about is Robert Forrester's just a, was a fantastic character actor. We lost him way too soon last year. He was in everything from the most recent season of Twin Peaks to the Alexander Payne movie from a few years ago called The Descendants with George Clooney. Probably one of my favorite roles ever is him as Max Cherry and Tarantino's Jackie Brown. You know, I also really love him as one of the first big movie roles that he had in a movie called Medium Cool that I highly recommend watching if you ever get the chance, where he plays a cameraman. Um, But he plays the part of Graham Parsons' father, uh, Stanley Parsons, who comes to California to claim the body and bring him back to New Orleans for funeral services. In reality, though, it was his stepfather who had came to claim the body as Parsons' actual birth father, Ingram Connor passed away in 58 from suicide I'm not 100% why they made that choice my only assumption is is that it has more poignancy if it's his actual father as opposed to his stepfather but I will say that as always Forrester is wonderful he was sort of the he's kind of the perfect combo in it of quiet cool with a pensiveness that reads as a real sincere sadness at times And I think he was a great fit, a great casting choice. Next, I wanted to go into, and we first meet her once. Kaufman has came back from the motel room, Uh, a character by the name of Barbara that Christina Applegate plays. And I can only imagine that the thought process here was that she was kind of supposed to be objectively terrible. Uh, She was a fictitious person. But in the in the movie, they've written her as a woman that used to date Graham Parsons, who has this contract with him where he promised her everything if he died and she's came to collect. And it's pretty insane and ridiculous. And she's kind of awful, but really good at it because Christina Applegate is a great actress. And, you know, I can't remember the last time. I saw her be sort of a real bitchy, opportunist-type character. And from everything that I read, it would seem they sort of made her this amalgamation of sort of the groupy stereotype or people who were sort of hangers-on to famous people and just sort of sucked whatever they could out of them. And... You know, there's a a really great scene where she shows up at the house and she's demanding Graham's Masters and his guitar, and she, of course, finds none of it. And she's, you see her throughout the film, and she ends up with nothing and is yelling pretty much at Coffin the entire time. Next, uh, another main character of the movie, and I really like this actress a lot. Uh, Her name is Marley Shelton. She plays the character of Susie, who is also fictitious, who is Kaufman's girlfriend, like his on and off sort of girlfriend. And Marley Shelton, probably a few things that you might know her from. I feel like one of the first times she really got on my radar is she was, oh my goodness, my mind's blanking on the first name of the character. But uh peppercorn I think is the last name from the Sandlot. She's the lifeguard girl that they're all like gaga over the real pretty blonde. She that's probably the first time I ever saw her or anything but then she later went on to be in other things. One performance I really like of hers is she's in Planet Terror which was the Robert Rodriguez movie that he did this the Grindhouse double feature with Tarantino several years ago. And Robert Rodriguez's was Planet Terror, and she plays the wife of Josh Brolin's character, who is a nurse, and she's fantastic in it. And then, but her character is very likable. She plays sort of that typical girlfriend who is very smart, but maybe falls for man children and is kind of over. Kaufman's shit, and but still can't help but love him and see like good in him, and she's kind of weaved throughout the film as well, like she's leaving him, then she shows back up. Yeah. and I really enjoy her in it and her and Knox still have a good chemistry. It's very believable that that they would be together. I did want to talk a little bit about the actor because you do see Graham Parsons twice really one you see him in the beginning and he's not really doing much because he's dead but then there's a a sort of a scene towards the end between him and Kaufman in a car and it's sort of a you know it's clearly supposed to be sort of a poignant moment between the two and it's obviously his ghost but that is played by an actor his first name is Gabriel and i think it's Macht M A C H T i apologize if i butchered that i'm not super familiar with him when i looked up things that he's been in i've seen a few of the movies but it looks like the main thing he's been did recently was he was on the show Suits and he was a main character i also wanted to speak just briefly before i get to my favorite actor and character in the whole movie the director of the movie, which was Dave Caffrey. I haven't seen a ton of stuff that he's done other than this movie. He's done a lot of television lately. And primarily the show that he has most recently directed many episodes of is the Netflix show Peaky Blinders, which I need to finish, but I did start and I did really like it. And don't yell at me if you like, love it and can't believe I haven't finished. Okay. There's a lot of stuff out there, guys, and we're all trying to watch it and listen to it and read it as quickly as we can, but I like to slow down and enjoy the things that I consume, and I'm sure many of you do too. So I do want to get to the person who I love the most and the character I love the most, and it's not just because of who plays him, although his performance is why the character is so great, so maybe partially it is. but This is also a fictitious character. The character's name is Larry Osterberg. And he plays the person that Kaufman rents the hearse from to pick up the body at LAX and take out the Joshua tree. Uh, He hears that this guy has a hearse. He goes to his house. This guy's super in it, like he's like doing yoga when he shows up and he has a bright yellow hearse. And at first, Kaufman lies to him and tells him. I have to pick someone up from the airport, then cut to I just have to pick up this casket. And then eventually he finds out "Mm, there's also a body in it. Also, it's Graham Parsons. So this character is played by Michael Shannon. And I don't know if I've ever expounded upon how much I love him on our show or not, but if I haven't, and if you don't follow me on any sort of social media or aren't friends with me, I love Michael Shannon. I do think he's one of our greatest living actors right now. I've been a big fan of his for a very long time, and he actually, you know, he did this movie when he was relatively unknown. He hadn't, he hasn't done a ton, which I think only speaks to how talented he is because you can totally see it in this movie. He is so interesting not only to just to watch, in his sort of his mannerisms and his motions, but also how he delivers the things that he says. The best way I know to describe his performance is he's present at all times. And completely in the moment, you completely buy it. You completely buy all his reactions, how he interacts with everyone around him. He actually delivers this incredible sort of monologue towards the end of the film specifically towards robert forrester's character uh, regarding parsons and what he would want and it's really moving and it gives the movie sort of a level a levity because overall it's it definitely plays as more of sort of a dark zany kind of comedy because on paper it's sort of an absurd idea and he certainly adds to that but he also i think because he's so earnest and honest in all his reactions throughout he sort of plays the audience in his reactions as far as what we can't do this this is crazy well okay i'm already here so i guess i'm in it it's it's really great and again because i couldn't find a lot about the making of the movie I don't know if that was a a decision on his part as an actor or if it was informed more by the director. Either way, it works really well. And the few sort of reviews or opinion pieces I read about this movie, everyone is pretty much in agreement that watches it, that he is clearly everyone's favorite character in the movie. And honestly... I recommend watching it just to watch him because he's he's so good in it. I mean, everyone I think is good, but he adds something to the movie that I don't know it would have otherwise if it weren't for him. It certainly makes the movie very entertaining. Again, he offers this really great counterbalance to Kaufman, who. It's Johnny Knoxville playing him. So Johnny Knoxville is just really good at sort of being a smart ass, a lovable one, but kind of a fuck up and a smart ass and just fine by the seat of his pants. Whereas, you know, Shannon as Osterberg is a lot more grounded and a voice of reason. And it's a really great trade off because you spend a, a, a huge chunk of the movie with the two of them together in the car, transporting the body. Other than that, you know, I don't have a ton of facts about it. There are trivia to give you, you know, the movie was received pretty well. You know, I think that again, Shannon was probably the consistent thing that got the the highest reviews or, or caused it to have really great reviews. And if you guys are interested in watching it, it is streaming right now on Amazon Prime for free. So if you have that, uh, and certainly in these kind of crazy times, a lot of us have more free time maybe on our hands than we did before. I recommend watching it again. I do want you to go into it knowing that they took a lot of creative licensing with characters, but the the overall story as far as what had like the purpose and what's happening is relatively accurate from what I saw and again it's overall a comedy you laugh a lot and you're supposed to but there are genuine moments of poignancy and gravity and you know it's funny I re-watched it again a couple of nights ago just to make sure that it was fresh on my mind before I did this recording and I don't know if it's just the the time that we're in right now and what we're all dealing with, but it certainly reminded me to sometimes be present and enjoy who you're with when you're with them, because they might not be here forever, not to get super heavy here, but that was a thing that I took away from it. Uh, also, just to sort of add a personal touch, another thing that made it even more sort of personal just for me was since the last time I had seen it I actually went to Joshua Tree for the first time last year and I'd always wanted to go and it was incredible I absolutely love it there if I had a an income that allowed it I would 100% 100% have a home out there in Palm Springs, which is right next to Joshua Tree. I just felt very connected to it. And most of our listeners know I'm not a particularly uh, hippie, dippy, or however you want to phrase that person. But I, so I don't say that lightly. I am, um, there was something there that just felt very familiar. So I'm watching this. I think I just, I 100% understood why someone like Graham Parsons would connect so deeply with a place like that it is a very for lack of a better way of putting it it is sort of a spiritual feeling place you know it's old there's things happening but there's not a lot going on there's something happening there that's just greater than all of us before i end the recording i did promise you guys a little bit of bona boner facts (laughs) And I watched uh, lots of interviews with him and heard him talk about this a few times. And I'll actually find a good link so that you guys, if you want to listen to him, actually tell the story. And I feel like when I heard him tell this story, it was while they were making sort of this tribute to Evil Knievel. And it was a lot of like X Games and Extreme Sports guys were recreating stunts that uh, Evil Knievel had done and so while they were were doing this there was a a stunt where they were trying to flip a motorcycle and it was a it's like a 19 set I feel like let me make sure I get the exact model for you guys yeah so it was for the documentary being evil and It primarily focuses on Evil Knievel, but I know that throughout it, if I'm not mistaken, there's people who recreate famous stunts that Evil Knievel did, which I'm assuming you all know who that is. And if you don't, you can look him up. Uh, Because I also had a mild obsession with him at one point. But in it, it was the stunt was supposed to be flipping on a motorcycle, like doing this stunt. Well, by his own admission, Johnny Knoxville really doesn't drive a motorcycle very well, which surprised me for some reason. But he kept trying to attempt it. And I think he said in one of the interviews I watched, like maybe a sixth or seventh attempt, the mo- he came off of the motorcycle. And when he did, he fell back like on, I guess, sort of his butt and like his tailbone and his knees up like by his head. That's why you really should look it up because he can, like, in the interview I watched, he visually shows you, like, how he landed. And when he did, the motorcycle landed on his crotch. Like, the handlebars hit his crotch so hard they broke off. And when that happened, he was sort of stood up and was just bleeding from his crotch. And they took him to the hospital and in no uncertain terms, basically, it broke his penis. And they had to go in, I believe, and reset something. And he had to use a catheter for several months. And then for two years following it, off and on, he would still have to use a catheter. I promise you guys some some boner facts. And that is a hell of a boner fact. That might be the first time. I can't remember if we've ever had a broken penis discussed on this show but again i'll make sure to find a link to the interview i watched where he talked about it so if you guys want to watch that because knoxville's just entertaining to listen to if you like him, if you don't don't watch it because you'll just get irritated And there's no need for that that is all i've got for this episode I hope that you guys enjoyed listening to me talk about my movie stuff and I appreciate Olivia giving me the chance to do an episode where I did so and I do apologize again this is getting to you guys a little bit late it's been a bit of a hectic time we're all dealing with a lot I hope it was worth the wait and if you guys have any additional questions or maybe you know something about the movie or some trivia that I didn't include. Can always comment on any posts we make or even message us directly or me directly. You know, I'm always up for discussing this kind of stuff. So that's all I've got. And I hope you guys are okay and you're all safe and until next time. Thank you, as always, to our patrons, Justin from Mysterious Circumstances, Audrey Arndt, Hope Brazel, Patton Fuque, Allison Klima, Astrid Nyer, Kathy Lind, Janet Logan, and Terry Quillen. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.